what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Caregiver Community, an educational forum for family caregivers where we hold conversations about the joys as well as the challenges of caring for our, our aging parents and for ourselves. My name is Frances Hall. Jane Everson, my usual podcast co-host, is with her mother today, so won't be joining us. Jane and I began the caregiver community because we are two of the estimated 10 million adult child caregivers in the United States, people just like our listeners who are caring for our aging parents and for ourselves. In this podcast, we will be talking about behaviors often associated with Alzheimer's and other age-related forms of dementia and strategies for managing difficult behaviors. We have additional podcasts on our website that deal with other topics related to Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, and we hope you will listen to them also. My guests today are Mary Ann Drummond and Janie Benton. Mary Ann and Janie are registered nurses by training with years of experience. Both have found their passion and have excellent expertise in working with patients and families dealing with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. Marianne is Vice President of Operations for Carillon Assisted Living and an Alzheimer's educator and author. Janie is Director of Clinical Services for Carillon and also an Alzheimer's educator. We are grateful to have you two with us today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. A diagnosis of age-related dementias can be difficult for family members and loved ones to hear. Sometimes people with Alzheimer's disease and other age-related forms of dementia, as well as those with other health and medical conditions associated with aging, may behave in ways that are confusing, inappropriate, and sometimes even frightening. People living with some form of dementia may feel frustrated, confused, and angry, and those feelings can affect their behavior. Sometimes a person is unable to understand what is being said to them, and unable to express their wants and needs by typical means or in ways that we can understand. So let's talk about some behaviors often associated with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia and strategies for best dealing with them. What are some of the typical behaviors, particularly those that can be difficult to manage, that often accompany Alzheimer's and other dementias? What is it our loved one is trying to communicate through these behaviors? Well, uh, first of all, I'm going to say, and Janie, you probably know what I'm about to say when we say behaviors. Um, I don't like that word. What do I like to call it? Uh Uh-oh. Symptoms. Yeah. Symptoms. And, and, And not that behaviors isn't the best word. I think clinically we refer to these as behaviors. So... Um, I, I prefer to call it symptoms. It's a symptom of the disease. And I prefer to call sense. it symptom because that's exactly what it is. When we have um, chest pain, we clutch our chest because it's a symptom of a heart that is not working correctly. When we have Alzheimer's and dementias, um, our brain isn't working correctly, and it creates the symptom of uh, the way we act and the way we respond to our environment. And these symptoms come into play with um, how we conduct ourselves and our environment. And these things can be very frustrating for us as loved ones and as caregivers. And the reason they're very frustrating is we're used to the person as we knew them. They look the same on the outside. 
They respond to us physically in their appearance the same, especially initially in the disease process, yet they've changed how they present to us. So we use the word behaviors, and we'll stick with that word because that's the word we know. (laughs) That being said. We can all learn, though. (laughs) Well, that being said, I, I think we see things like repetition. You know, um, echolalia, repeating the same word over and over or the same phrase over and over. That can be very frustrating for a caregiver. And, and yet we say to ourselves, why do they do that? And how do we, how do we manage that? And, and we don't exactly know why. Sometimes it's the fact that the very uh, neuron and the part of the brain gets stuck, we think. And yet sometimes it's also that's the only thing left for them they can do successfully. Mm. We think about it that way. Well, you know, opportunities for success become less and less, and we all like to feel successful. So maybe all I can do today is sit there and say that same phrase over and over and over. And we have to start thinking about any of these behaviors or symptoms from the terms of three questions. Am I hurting myself? Am I hurting anyone else? And is this normal for me? So if I sit there in my rocking chair and I sit there and I say over and over and over, hello, 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 and I'm not hurting anyone else, and I do this every day, whereas it might be a little annoying for you to hear it, probably there's nothing better to do but to let me do that right now. And that gives me some sense of accomplishment. It's also given me some sense of expressing myself. Sit beside me, hold my hand, look me in the eyes, smile, and tell me my eyes are beautiful. And meet me where I am. And you're going to hear that, and we're going to talk more about why. Um, if, however, you see my body language changing in that repetitive behavior, and I seem anxious, and I seem like I'm hurting, well, now that's something different, and I've never said these words before. I might be trying to communicate something to you because remember with these dementias, um, I've got a lot of things going on in my brain. And I tell people, think of it as an injury, like we would a broken arm in a sling. We can see that manifestation, right, Janie? We always talk about with a broken arm, we can see. We'd open the door for you if you had a broken arm. Right. We can clearly see what you need. But when our brain is injured, we can't clearly see the injury. So yet I might be trying to communicate I have a pain in my tooth, and yet now my voice changes, and I'm, hello, 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 and that's all I'm saying, but I've never said those words before, and I've never just sat and rocked in my chair and said that. Now, the third answer to that question, is this normal behavior for me? No. So I've got to play Sherlock Holmes. I've got to figure out what's going on. So repetitive behavior, um, that's something we'll sometimes see. I think it's important if those words, they've always said those words, but today they're louder, they're faster, they're more intense, their body language changes. They're trying to communicate even though they can't change the words, so you have to be attuned to that as well. Right. So you're looking for changes. Well, that's really, really concrete stuff to be looking for. That's excellent for us. Wondering. You hear that word all the time. What is wondering? What does wondering mean? I have a definition. Seeking a place, time, or person that does not exist in today's reality. And i tell you why I use that phrase versus just going out of the house and going down the road trying to get to the grocery store by yourself in the middle of the night, which is a more common definition of wondering. When someone starts trying to leave their current environment for another, it's a scary thing. I'm sitting in my house that I've lived in for the last 15 years, and I look at you and I say, I want to go home automatically. But Janie, you are home. But this isn't home. Yes, it is. You, you live here with me, and you lived here for the last 20 years. But this isn't the home I remember. 
now I should be cued in as a caregiver. The next step that's going to start happening with my mom, when I go to sleep, she's going to seek the home she remembers. That is called wondering. She is now seeking in her mind a place and a time that doesn't exist today. And that's scary stuff because now I've got to start thinking about safety measures and the fact she is probably going to need 24-7 supervision. But we don't always cue in on that as being wondering because she hasn't left the house yet. She hasn't gone into the yard yet. So you're saying anytime they start, anytime a caregiver or a family member starts hearing, I want to go home, that that's pretty much a precursor to their beginning to... That is a wondering behavior. That is okay. now, <clears throat> we are now seeing wondering behavior. We are starting to seek in our environment, in our mind, places that aren't existing in today's reality. Um, and we need to start queuing in on that. You might walk into the bedroom and find all their clothes nicely packed in the suitcase, and they're telling us about a son that's coming to pick them up. And that son lives in California right now. They're ready to go on the trip. Um, these, are, these are precursors to, I am probably going to exit in the near future, my current environment. Um, we need to remember, particularly with Alzheimer's type dementias, our long-term memory becomes more and more vivid. That part of our mind uh, actually becomes more acute. We can remember a, a best friend at six years old, first and last name, when we can't remember maybe our husband's name. Um, but that long-term memory becoming more acute causes us to want to return to those places and times in our lives. And we believe that's what drives wondering behavior. As that reality becomes more and more cognitive for us, we will seek those places in our mind. And we will begin to mix current reality with past reality. And we'll start to seek those dates and times. We'll try to go care for children that are now grown, those drivers in life. We've got to get the kids to school. We've got to go to work, even though we've been retired for 20 years. Um, so, and, and we certainly have heard of parents that talk about that sort of thing, that, that it's an adult child, but they need to care for that child, right. that, you know, that they need to brush the hair or, or right. you know, whatever. What about when someone gets lost? That they just can't find their way back. Is that, is that part of this wandering, or is that something different? Well, it's the same thing. Something caused them to um, lose reality at the moment as to where they are, and often that's the first thing that happens that causes us to seek a diagnosis. We'll hear that story. Um, you're somewhere you've been all your life. You've gone to the local grocery store, or you were driving home, and suddenly, I don't know how to get home. These moments cause us to... Uh, pull over on the side of the road, and you know we, we've heard many times from first responders um, calling right. the family and saying, "Hi, we have your mother or your father, and uh, the address is your home address." And uh, they say they don't know how to get home. When it comes to wondering, you have to respond to it very delicately. You know, we don't want you to just walk up to someone and say, you know, that house doesn't even exist anymore, by the way. Imagine if someone told you the home you know and love and you think is real is gone. Or, you know, shock therapy never works. Right, that would be devastating. It would be. Or that their parents are passed away because they will ask for their mom and their dad. And you can't tell them that they're passed away. And that's so sad. That's so sad to, to relive that grief. It is. So I mentioned previously, meet me where I am. And, and so any of these behaviors, the first thing we like to do is let's evaluate, first of all, where our mother or our father is at or our loved one or the person we're caring for is at in their reality. 
let's try to enter that reality first because too often as caregivers, we want to bring them immediately to our reality and rescue because that's what we do. We rescue, and we want to get them to a safe place. But we can't rescue until we know where they're at. Mm -hmm. And we've got to enter that reality to build trust, to bring security for them to accept us. So if we know their reality is a home that existed 20 years ago and a place in time where maybe they are trying to get a child ready for school or home from school and so forth, well, let's enter that reality and assure them, okay, I I can help you with that, and let me see what I can do to get you there. And as we're entering that reality, then let's think about where we want to get to from there, which is R&R. You like R&R, right? Right, sure. What what does R&R stand for, Janie? Rest and relaxation. Well, it can stand for something else, too. As caregivers, we all want rest and relaxation, right, Francis? Sure, absolutely. But when it comes to dealing with dementias, we have to know how to redirect and reminisce. So once we meet them where they're at, once we bring them the comfort and peace that we can accept their reality, we walk beside them in that reality, then very quickly, let's do some redirection. Let's do some reminiscing that brings them to a different reality. Because remember, the short-term memory is gone. That is the very nature of Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's-type dementias. So we can reset that reality. And as we reset the reality, we've done some redirection. So, Mom, as I'm walking with you here and I'm telling you I'm going to help you to get to the home you remember and I'm reminiscing with you, I'm going to share a different story that I know you still respond to from your long-term memory. Maybe I'm going to reminisce with you about the time you and I went blackberry picking that you still remember, and we chased the snake away, we dropped all the blackberries, and we had to pick them up. Just a story from our childhood that I know she always remembers, and it makes her laugh. And as we're sharing that story, we start talking about, I don't know, making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich something I know she loves and next thing you know we're in the kitchen making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and she's no longer focused on home we redirected we reminisced and we did it in a way that I never once had to tell her home doesn't exist anymore that you're remembering I'm all grown up I didn't argue because you never argue I didn't try to use logic because logic Logic. doesn't work in this rescue right and that's how I was able to get my rest and relaxation. Mm-hmm. And now we're having a good moment in today's reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so wondering, that's a common symptom or behavior, paranoia. You stole my money, Francis. <laughs> I know you did it. You're out to get my house. You already took my car. You know, of all the kids, I knew it would be you. It happens all the time. And, of course, it would be awfully easy to say, uh-uh, no, I didn't. Because naturally you want to. Sure. I mean, sure. if the listeners could see how you looked at me when I said you stole my money. Naturally, even in you know just role play, it comes out that we want to defend ourselves. And um, that's something when Janie and I do our presentations all the time, when we do that role play, I think our audience, there's half the audience relates to that. There's something that maybe the adult child never even knew existed that has been stolen or lost, and our natural inclination is to argue. We they always want to say, no, I didn't. No, I didn't, or I would never do that to you. Um, but we talked about meet me where I am and enter that reality. Well, by the same token, I can't look at Janie and say, well, yes, I did steal your money. <laughs> you know, We can't enter that reality. Um, so that's a little harder. Um, the paranoias and the, the times of accusations, what we have to do in those moments is try to assure them the object they're focused on is safe. 
try to um, do some redirection and reminiscing as quickly as possible. And if there is a trigger in the home that every time they pass that picture of their mother wearing the brooch or every time there is a moment that you know when they see this object, it reminds them of that object, remove it. Just get rid of it. Yeah, it's, it's time. And oftentimes there are triggers that we don't realize are creating it. Sometimes it's the pocketbook. The pocketbook reminds them of the bank account, which reminds them that they don't have control of it anymore, which reminds them that you stole their money. You know, look for what that trigger is. Sometimes it's getting the mail. You might have to go to a post office box now because every time certain envelopes come in that look like a bank statement, they want to see the bank statement. And they don't understand the withdrawals and why it costs so much now for the doctor's visits. You know, mm-hmm. there are things that can be very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at things like apathy, aggression. Any, uh, any emotion we feel today, you can still feel and have dementia, um, depression, all these things. And we forget that. We think sometimes just because we suddenly now have a dementia that we're not going to have these other things that can happen to us just because we're human and we're adult. And they can be hard to recognize because mingled in there is the dementia. Right. So I always say if it's a sudden change and just overnight, suddenly they're different, think that possibly it's just good old-fashioned depression. And these things are usually brought on by lack of activity, stimulation, um, things that you can still do successfully. And, and Janie's um, always full of great ideas of things that just are good to have in our daily environment. You want to name a couple of things, Janie? Well, I think cleaning objects. They all cleaned in their prime time of their life. So as simple as a dust cloth or the old-fashioned feather dusters, a broom. Um, give them a broom to sweep a floor. I've seen the repetitive behaviors where they just continuously clean. Give them a cloth and let them clean those things. Um, I think photo albums, uh, not of current uh, grandchildren or home, but of their childhood, of their family, because those are things that you can easily distract them with. And put those pictures around the house instead of things that are going to add to their confusion. Stories that tell the story. In other words, when Jenny's talking about the photo albums, when that picture elicits a smile, you've got a home run. And the more of those old photos you find where every time they see that picture, they tell you the same story over and over, that's therapy. Um, The music box. The music box that has the little song, and they say, oh, I remember when. (laughs) Sure, music can be huge. Oh, music is huge. And um, there's a documentary called Alive Inside. And if if anyone's had an opportunity to um, uh, see that on the web, it's a beautiful thing. It helps you to understand why it's so important to have uh, an MP3 player or an iPod with songs specific to your loved one's interest when they were in their 20s or 30s. Just putting those headphones on and letting them listen to those songs in particular, it does bring us alive inside. Um, so many wonderful little things. Now, I will not be the person that will enjoy the feather duster. I will be the person <laughs> that probably enjoys <laughs> making the birdhouse. But whatever it is you enjoy doing, <laughs> do it. the key is what you enjoy doing. Do, do as much of that as you still can, um, as long as you can. Well, that also kind of goes to knowing your parent or knowing your loved one and knowing what it is they really enjoy and what sort of flips their switch. Absolutely. And I think that's hard sometimes for an adult child um, because we know the parent as the parent. 
And I, I, I kind of enjoy telling children mom and dad were not always the mom and dad you knew. Um, sometimes they were very different in their younger person. And we've got to remember, we've got to get to know the younger person. A quick story, I had a, a lady one time who um, had two sons that worshipped her. They had her on a pedestal higher than the Statue of Liberty. She was a very strict woman, raised wonderful sons. They came to me one day so angry. Um, they asked me what I had done to the mother. They thought I had medicated her and brainwashed her. I said, why? She's dancing. <laughs> and I said, okay, and what's wrong with that? In our house, dancing was of the devil. If you danced, she would have beat you. I said, oh, well, let's wow. go see. Well, their mother wasn't just dancing. She was doing the Charleston. the Charleston and dances that we could not teach her. And I said, guys, your mom once danced. Oh. We didn't teach her this. So it's important that we know mom before she was mom in an era and time that we can bring back to them. Um, so that, that's just an example as to why. I think this is when we should talk to the families about a journal. The way to get to know their parent before is let them start writing it down when the disease is first diagnosed. So when they are even before then, Janie, I, I tell yeah. people journal now. People journal. Even if you're not a writer, even if you are that person, you say I, I'm not into that journaling thing. I tell everyone journal today because it could be the most therapeutic thing for you tomorrow. We know the statistics. One in eight people over 65 have Alzheimer's, even if they haven't been diagnosed. One in two over 80. Isn't that horrifying? It is a horrifying number. Mm-hmm. Yet, remember the movie, The Notebook? Mm-hmm. What was mm-hmm. the most therapeutic thing for her and her husband toward the middle and latter stages of her disease process, but the journals she started in her mm-hmm. 20s? Mm-hmm. As he read those stories back to her, they became what brought her back to him on certain days and certain times. And when we journal our life stories and we take the time to do that, that is what lets us connect back to ourselves if and when it ever becomes needed. Plus, you know what? It's just a good therapeutic thing to do. It's good to write down those good stories. Oh, absolutely. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But what if we are now at this point and mom or dad is far enough along, they're not so far into it, but they're far enough along, you know, that that they didn't journal. We don't have that. And, Janie, you talked about photos and photo albums. It's, it's a good thing to do to bring out the photo albums and sit with our parent and just let them tell us the stories Absolutely. of those pictures and those people. Even if they're not true, they're true yeah. to them. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at The Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.TV. What about, um, sometimes there are behaviors, symptoms, um, that that to a lot of people would feel inappropriate mm-hmm. and very um, very uncomfortable mm-hmm. and possibly even scary. Yeah. What about those? Well, there's a couple that fall in that category. Certainly, um, sometimes um, you're going to have aggressive and combative behaviors. 
um, and they come out for a number of reasons. Um, it can be very scary when everyone around you is a stranger. Um, so we have to put ourselves in their shoes, even if we know them, we love them, and they've been part of our lives all of our life. They can wake up one morning, and everyone around them is a total stranger. And that would be so frightening. Absolutely. I mean, to to think that you're surrounded by all these people, and you haven't a clue who these people are. And think about the things we're doing for them. We are right. giving them care, hygiene, dressing them, undressing them. Some of the most intimate things in life are being done for them. So um, we have to learn about things like approach um, to decrease combative behaviors. Always make eye contact. Always approach someone um, after making eye contact and make sure they see you. Call them by name. Um, be in front of them. Never touch them from behind or from the side where they don't see you. Um, try to be on their level. If someone is sitting, squat down in front of them. Never try to stand over them. The things that would be scary to you are going to be scary to them. Um, try to reduce um, all the things going on around you so there's not a lot of stimulation when you're trying to interact and communicate. Make sure the environment is as peaceful and um, conducive to positive interaction as possible. Chaos creates chaos. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the things that you think about with things that are um, going to create combative behaviors. Um, hygiene tends to be a push-me-pull-you. We tend to want to control the things we can for as long as we can when we're losing control of everything else. Sure, sure. Um, so what things do we tend to want to um, assert our control over? Bath time, medication time, grooming time, toileting, toileting time, brushing our teeth time. How about even eating? Eating, I think, is more of along the guidelines of you may feel like you've already ate. Um, You may. um, We don't usually see as much of refusing to eat out of purposeful refusal, Mm -hmm. um, so much as they think they've already ate or they don't even recognize hunger. Um, The brain isn't communicating with the body the way it should because of the whole issue of the plaques and tangles on the neuron level and the message is not getting through. So if you don't feel hungry, you tend to not eat. Mm -hmm. I think there's some mimicking done with with eating as well. So if, you know, the loved one would eat with them, they're going to mimic that um, because it's, it's just a natural reaction to that. So you have less behaviors with eating than you will with toileting or Well, actually, Janie is on a wonderful point with mimicking in general with all of these things. Mimicking is actually one of our best friends when it comes to any of these tasks we're talking about, whether it's brushing our teeth or brushing our hair. Taking medicine. Um, The ability to mimic is one of the last um, skill sets that we lose. So if in any way we can do the task with them as much as possible... And we're doing it in a way that they um, are able to watch. Um, you've heard of hand-over-hand guidance and starting them with the task. Um, that's a good way to get started. Talk a little more about that. Though. Well, you know, certainly we process information three ways, with what we hear, see, and feel. So, unfortunately, we way too often just want to communicate verbally. But for the message to get through to the Alzheimer's or dementia brain, to present the information in all three ways at one time, you're going to have higher success. So if I'm going to go um, help someone brush their teeth, if I hold the toothbrush up and the toothpaste up and I let them see it and I say it's time for you to brush your teeth, I've now processed auditory and visually, and then if I put the toothbrush in their hand, now I've also um, processed with the tactile. So I've got all three messages going at one time. I've just tripled my opportunities for success. 
they may, by that point, take over. If not, now hand over hand, I guide them, and I put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, and I tell them what I'm doing. I'm now putting the toothpaste on the toothbrush for you, which now I've just, again, tripled my opportunity for success. They may take over the task. And if not, now let's start brushing your teeth. Hand over hand, I guide them. Very different than our common approach, which is just brush their teeth for them because it's easier and faster. When you start learning hand over hand using auditory, visual, and tactile cueing, what you'll find is many times I might just take the task over from you right in the middle of it on certain given days because today the message got through. I tell people, picture a cobweb. What do you see in a cobweb but a fly caught? That's kind of what happens with the messages in our brain when it comes to these plaques and tangles. Sometimes that fly gets lucky and he gets through. We want to give that message the best opportunity possible to get through. And that's what auditory, visual, and tactile cueing does. So when it comes to these combative behaviors that we sometimes see with these tasks we just talked about, giving it your best opportunity for success comes this way. And, and Janie has some great recommendations, particularly for bathing. Well, I think it goes back to what you talked about earlier is to know your loved one. And I always think of my mom. Uh, she used Dove soap. So if I took Irish Springs, had a cold shower, and told mom it was time to take a shower, <laughs> she wouldn't do it. But if I showed her the, ivory, or the Dove soap, I made it wet because it has a particular fragrance. She loved light blue towels. I would have light blue towel and a light blue washcloth. I would have the shower or the bath already turned on so the room was warm. I would be much more successful to get my mom in that shower than if I just said, Mom, let's go take a shower, uh, because she would never do that. She would tell me she already did it. She had her bird bath. That was what she said. I've already done it. But you would get much more success from your loved one if you know them. And I remember during a presentation that you all did that you talked about presenting um, the towels in a really nice, attractive-looking package, you know, if you will. Folded, and it it looks inviting. It's familiar. It's what they liked. It's what they did. If there was a particular talcum powder or a cologne that they usually would put on after the bath, let them smell that prior to the bath. If there's a particular color, get towels in that color. Um, You know, whatever you can do to simulate someone's particular likes, then they're anticipated. And always have the bath ready prior to going in. Just the sound of water going in a tub or a shower can be kind of scary. Um, You know, if if, if you're trying to get everything done and prepared and bringing them in at the same time, you're chasing them as you're getting everything done. The more you can have everything ready so that you just bring your loved one in and all they have to do is slip into the tub or slip into the shower, even some soft music that they like playing in the background, everything ready, anticipation, five-star hotel, you know, it's all about them. Well, one of the things I'm hearing from you all, um, a couple of things, one is the preparedness. Um, to take the time to really set the stage, if you will, and and also this really breaking down um, step by step, you know, not making assumptions, not just putting them in the situation, but rather, as you're saying, telling them, I'm, I'm putting the toothpaste on the toothbrush. Here, let me hand this to you. Uh, you know, even guiding them with your own hand that we as adults and, and particularly adult children 
um, care, uh, adult child caregivers so often, we're just overwhelmed. Um, it's just how can we get through this the fastest? But what you're suggesting is that by slowing it down, that it can be much more successful. And so sort of that putting the time and energy and effort in at the front end then will help the, help the success rate, help it be much more pleasant for everyone. Yes. And, and really, in the long run, it will, um, it, it will make things go better and maybe quicker. I was going to say save time. Yeah. <laughs> if you do it slower, because it's not on your timetable. And they, rushing them causes increased agitation. Sure, sure. So if you slow it down, it will do exactly what you said. It will actually speed up the entire event mm-hmm. because you're not fighting the battle. Right. Good to know. Good to know. Well, you know, we're, a lot of these things are communication of, of some sort, communication, both from us to, to our loved one as well as from them to us. But what happens when a loved one is no longer able to communicate clearly? And there is something you talked earlier about um, behavior or, or symptoms being different. It's very different. And so you know something is going on. How do you determine what is going on that is a toothache, it's pain, mm-hmm. and they because they can't tell you that? Well, that's where you have to look for patterns, and you have to know, um, and, and we know our loved ones. We, we can look at them and tell, you know, how many times have we looked at our, our mother, our father, our loved one, and said, you're different today in our, in our mind. You look at them, and you think, there's something different about them today. Um, and oftentimes, um, we, we want to accept the presentation as what they're trying to tell us. And we'll, we'll share a great example um, of why not to do that. So um, I think you've seen the presentation where Janie's doing some role play and she's going around patting people on the cheek and laughing. Right. right. Now, that would suggest that she's happy and, you know, she's not hurting anyone. Go back to our three questions. Is she hurting herself? Is she hurting anyone else? No. And is this normal behavior for her? And in that particular role play, we said, no, this was not normal behavior for her. She's never done this before. So that would tell us that she need, we need to think about what could she possibly be communicating. And we had over 100 people in the room tell us, well, she's saying she's happy today because she was patting cheeks and laughing. We wanted to accept that as the reality. Yet in that particular scenario, the person she was emulating actually had a horrible tooth abscess. And that was the only way they were able to communicate they did have that point in the disease process where they had lost speech. We have seen people with Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's type dementias walk on broken bones. We've seen them um, you know, not be able to communicate and or even recognize the level of pain that's typically associated with certain injuries simply because, go back to our spider web, the brain has tangles and plaques and things in our brain that, that block signals. We have to remember this because we communicate differently. So the key is difference. Look for different, either in our body language, in our manifestation of how we present. We've seen people just not want to get up. If your loved one normally gets up every day, but today they won't get out of bed, that's a sudden change. So my recommendation, Janie's recommendation, what we normally tell people, if you have a sudden change, go through first your usual list of suspects, hungry, tired, cold, hot, bathroom, and, you know, go for environmental things. All those things are set aside and solved, and the change is still there. Now it's time for medical evaluation. There could be 
a urinary tract infection. There could be um, some other infection. There could be something else going on, but it's time to see the doctor. Good advice. Good advice. We've talked some about environmental triggers, and we've talked some about keeping loved ones engaged. But are there some other things that that we want to make sure people hear about those two issues? Well, the environment um, is very important. Um, I think that too often it's easy to um, try to we want to put them in bubble wrap. We want to mm-hmm. protect them from everything. And sometimes by doing so, we take away opportunities for success, individualization, socialization, and that's not good. Um, we've learned over time now that engaging ourselves socially, cognitively, physically can delay progression of disease. And yet those become challenges for us when you have dementia. Um, So we're working very hard to find ways to say, how do we do this? Um, Popping up all over now is something called memory cafes. Sure. Um, I think that we want to make sure that um, if you haven't heard of what one is, maybe go out and research that and get on the Internet and pop that in there, and you'll see probably somewhere near you is a memory cafe. Um, It's a wonderful concept. It's where you can go with your loved one or the person you're caring for and just get out of the house um, with Mm -hmm. people who understand, um, people who have dementias and their caregivers, and and let your hair down, have some coffee, enjoy an activity, and relax. We want to make sure that we understand that activities aren't just um, things that have to be grandiose. They can be simple. It can be simple and fun. Getting something together such as a balloon And two people can be tons of fun with great laughter. It is not hard to bat a balloon back and forth over a table. I I thought that's where you were going. And that is. It's a hoot. It's a hoot. It really is. Um, Whether it's you and your grandchild or you and your 95-and-a-half-year-old mother. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, But I highly recommend it. Or singing. Um, Singing. Oh, my goodness. Um, We could do 20 podcasts on reminiscing therapy and how music is quintessential in that you know um one of the presentations Janie and i love to do involves some reminiscing therapy and watching people revisit old memories um and 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 they're like pulling out an old friend and what that does for you what that does for the person who has a dementia the discovery of that is, is so important and and what it does to make the day a great day um so those are just some examples you know um, whatever we can still do, we need to do as much of it as we can. But it should be enjoyable for the individual. Remember, don't put your own preferences and likes above theirs. And just because you like it doesn't mean they do. So read them, and if they're frustrated with it, if they're not enjoying it, move on and find something they enjoy. And that's the real bottom line, isn't it? To really, truly meet them where they are. Absolutely. Not where we are or where we want them to be. Right. And and I think, too, we have to think safety. Oh, sure. Um, You know, cleaners look like Kool-Aid. Clorox looks like milk. And ingestion is the number one cause of injury for people with dementias. We um, don't understand. We don't um, know the barriers of what we can and can't drink and eat. Um, certainly a man who's always worked with a skill saw and woodworking, if he can still access it, guess what he's going to want to do? Sure. Um, he's going to want to go out to his, his shop um, and work with wood when he can. And these things that we have to be careful of. And 
just saying, no, daddy, you can't go out and do that anymore is probably not going to cut it, make him mad, make him want to go do it even more. Right. So right. we do have to wake, make sure the environment is safe based on their cognitive function. That That's sort of the number one is safety is not negotiable. It's not. But yet for that same individual, find something he can still do. So can he sand wood and be able to put some things together using glue um, and still make a birdhouse? Probably so. Right. So right. just right. some examples. Right. Let's talk for just a moment. We, you all have covered so much good information. Um, sundowners. Sundowners is a concept that lots of us hear about. It was something that they even talked about with my mother-in-law. Talk a little about sundowners and what that is, what that looks like, and how to help with that. What's actually, it starts as the sun goes down, you'll see the them start to revert to a different time and a place that may be where you start to see wondering they're looking for something that doesn't exist i've seen them start packing because they're going to go home so those are those are behaviors that you are going to see sometimes the same time of the day i used to be able to set a clock uh, for a resident who wanted to go home and was at a door around four thirty, five o'clock at night. And there is just something about the sun setting that really triggers. It's, it's your this. clock inside. It's usually more a schedule someone once had in their own life. Maybe it could have been when someone once cooked dinner or maybe when someone once went to work on second shift or some internal driver. Um, it could also be a trigger that's environmental. Um, sometimes... The blessing is it can be as simple as just turning the lights out. For some individuals, you can solve sundowners by leaving the light on when you go to bed. But again, going back to meet me where I am, care philosophy, it's our reality that you turn the light off when you go to bed. Right. When you turn the light off, shadows come out. Your vision's impaired and you have dementia. So someone turned the lights out and shadows are out. You don't realize that now, because I have dementia and I have a cataract and astigmatism, the shadows start moving, and I'm scared. And these shadows are what are making me get up and go seek people. But now, maybe if you leave the light on, you've solved my sundowner syndrome. So we start on the simplest plane possible, and we rule out those things that it might be. Is it simply because when the lights go out, I want to get up? Let's try that first. Did that, didn't work, wasn't that. You weren't one of the lucky ones. <laughs> Let's dig a little deeper. Um, maybe I'm not getting enough activity during the day. I could be one of the next level of lucky ones simply by increasing my daytime activity, getting me up earlier in the day, and getting me more on a schedule. Oftentimes we find people that are more prone to sundowning have a little less of a schedule. They don't eat at the same time, their three meals. They don't get a good snack before going to bed. Some people just get hungry at a certain time. And by that, we give them an evening snack, and they stop sundowning. Interesting. Um, Interesting. So those are some of the things we try to do. Um, so now you've got them where they get up at the same time each morning, earlier in the day. They're on a routine. They get a snack at night. All these things have been tried. They are still sundowning. Um, you might talk to the physician to look at their medications and see if there's anything that can be done. Make sure they're not getting too much caffeine, particularly late at night. Um, make sure there's no other causes for it. Um, in the very rare case, there are some that there's nothing you can do, and they could have been that night owl. 
I, I know a lot of us are like me. You have these um, young men, young sons in your life. My son will be, if he's ever one of those people later in life that get Alzheimer's, the guy that stays up all night. There's many in our younger generation, they don't know the meaning of cut it off at night, you know? Right, right. Um, there are people that have lived their lives that way. So you're not going to change that lifelong habit. So again, going back, sort of going back to what is familiar mm-hmm. to them, which is kind of a theme in this whole thing. You made a statement, uh, said something just a second ago about medication. Mm-hmm. Let's talk for a moment because I know there are some medications out and there is some really exciting stuff going on there with is. pharmaceuticals. Talk a little about the medication. Well, um, we'll begin with what we have presently. Um, um, you know, we all know about the cholinesterase inhibitors, and I think that um, most people know by now what they do, but just to make sure, because I still hear of some people that say, you know what, I stopped giving him that Aricep because it's so expensive and I just didn't see it working. Um, and I want to make sure people understand that the medications we have out there now, Aricept, Exelon, Numenda, whatever it is that your loved one has been given, um, you're really not going to see improvement. They're not designed for that. To date, the medications that we have, they don't improve the dementia. Um, you know, they don't um, slow progression. What they do is they actually just help the brain communicate its best possible self within itself. Um, Aricept helps on the neuron level to help the brain um, on the neurotransmitter level get the messages through. Um, medications like Namenda. Um, you know, they decrease certain chemicals that might otherwise decrease the brain's effectiveness. But there is something new out there um, that I've heard something about most recently that is in a phase three level of testing. Um, that, that's pretty far out there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's, it's being nicknamed SOLA. And I may not pronounce its clinical name correctly. Um, Solanezumab is the full name of it. Um, and what it is, is a humanoid monoclonal um, antibody. That's a mouthful. It is. It is. So it's unlike anything that's out there. But the, the really encouraging part about it is in its clinical trials compared to the placebo group, it actually has slowed progression. It's actually shown the ability to actually bust up or actually decrease some of the plaques and tangles in the Alzheimer's brain, um, 34% compared to the placebo group. So to me, that's extremely that exciting. It, it, it absolutely is because the statistics uh, and the future that we keep hearing about with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia is so horrifying that anything that will slow this down would just be phenomenal. Yes. This is when we give thanks for I'm those. I'm watching this very closely. Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> I bet. I bet. That's that's really good to know. Um, yes, we will. We will definitely keep an eye out for all of that. Um, I want to go back. I want to summarize everything that you've said with the three questions for people to continually, every day, ask with each activity. And those were, is it, are they hurting themselves? Mm-hmm. Are they hurting others? And is the behavior or the symptom different? Right. Is that correct? Right. 
Because okay. that's, that's pretty much, um, there's a lot involved in those three simple questions. Oh, sure. But they give you a lot of guidance so that you have peace of mind of, is this something that I should worry about? Or is this something I should just meet them where they are, enjoy the journey with them, and understand that that's me being my most therapeutic self with my loved one? Right, right. We could go on and on and on. And I would love for us to do something on, what did you call it, reminiscing therapy. Mm-hmm. So we might try to take a look at that at that podcast okay. at the, in the future. We are very, very grateful. Thank you. Thank you to both of you, Marianne and Janie, for being with us with this podcast. And we want to thank all of you who are listening. Thank you for listening to the Caregiver Community. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast and that you have learned something new about behaviors, symptoms, often associated with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. We also hope you have learned some strategies for managing the more difficult symptoms related to the diseases. This program is part of the MESH network of online shows and podcasts. You may learn more about the MESH and check out other programs available for free at www.themesh.tv. That is www.themesh.tv. On that site, you will also send. You can also send us a question or recommendation for future show topics using the contact us button. We also encourage you to find us on Apple iTunes, where you may subscribe to our show and make sure you receive all future episodes sent to you automatically. You will find a link to the Mesh website on our ACAP Community website to subscribe. And if you would like more information about ACAP Community, our local chapters, or additional resources for adult child caregivers of aging parents, please go to our website, www. ACAPCommunity.org, and that is ACAP Community as in Adult Children of Aging Parents. So www.acapcommunity.org, or call us toll free at 877-599-ACAP, which is 877-599-2227, or email us at info at acapcommunity.org. Thank you for listening, and many thanks to you, Marianne and Janie, for sharing such great information with us. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.